0: This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You no know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership
1: cares, then maybe they should talk.
0: This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cattillo and Sean McAdam.
1: The Thursday episode of the Fenway Rundown and a mailbag episode, as we're going to be taking your questions about the Red Sox, as we do every couple weeks on the show. I'm Chris Catillo. Sean McAdam is here with me, and uh, before we get to questions, Sean, we talked on Tuesday about how you know this was kind of a make or break, do or die series for the Red Sox. They come out with really two of their worst games of the year um, on Monday, as Chris said the other day on the podcast. Chris Smith they laid an egg Tuesday night. Not much better, and then uh, last night, Wednesday night. Another big win, just like Sunday in the Bronx, where they're able to gut out a win um, over the Astros. Adam Duvall hits the, the would-be game-winning home run in the top of the 10th. We had Garrett Whitlock's sliding catch, and um, Trevor Story's throw. A lot of great moments, and uh, I know a lot of work for Chris Smith in Houston. But um, just your overall thoughts on that victory at Minute Made.
0: Yeah, I think it was as big as any win they've had all year. I mean, that sounds... Uh, hyperbolic a little bit at this point, but given that it would have, uh, you know, they would have failed to pick up the ground that they did in the standings because of losses uh, by both Toronto and Seattle in front of them. And just the optics uh, that would have taken place with a third straight loss in Houston, I think would have been devastating uh, instead of a chance to even the series and split it in the series finale that takes place Thursday afternoon. You're looking at trying to avoid a sweep and four straight losses coming home to the Dodgers and Astros. Uh, Just a absolute must have win last night. Uh, The, the at bat from Duval was sort of a mini Kirk Gibson drama in itself. When you think back to the 88 world series, and uh, what Duval did, obviously, his injury was not as uh, devastating as the knee injury that Gibson was dealing with at the time. But on the next pitch, after following a ball off his shin or ankle, uh, needing a good three or four minutes to gather himself and get over the pain and then step in, and line the next pitch he saw into the Crawford boxes for a three-run homer in the top of the 10th it doesn't get much more dramatic than that for a regular season win they absolutely had to get it and they did so we'll see what they do with it
1: today Brian Bayo on the mound uh this should be going live probably right around when that game starts and then they come home for a big series against the Dodgers Mookie Betts return um Ryan Brazier's big return as well. Kike Hernandez. J.D. Martinez won't be playing. And then obviously um, you have Justin Turner, Kenley Jansen, some of those guys playing against their former team. We will have, as we like to say, team coverage of all that tomorrow. From Fenway, one more thing I want to get to before we get to the questions. Shohei Otani will not be pitching anymore this year. He has a torn UCL on his pitching elbow. That went from, as the kids like to say, zero to about 180 in about uh, two hours yesterday. He was, um, pulled from his start against the Reds with arm fatigue. All of a sudden he is, uh, back to, I guess, being a one-way player for now. And as I tweeted out last night, when I wrote a quick story on it for Mass Live, just horrible news for the game, horrible news for Otani with his pending free agency. Uh, I think it's probably a little too early to know the impact, but just, um, in terms of, you know, nationwide global baseball news, I think, um, other than something catastrophic or tragic, this is about as bad as it gets for the consumer, the fan, and the game.
0: Yeah, I think everybody enjoys watching Otani be the historic player that he's become in the last five or six years. And it's sad that it certainly seems unlikely that he's uh, going to pitch for any time in the foreseeable future. And it will certainly impact – free agent bidding for him although i think it's too early to determine exactly how that will be impacted um you know we we had heard estimates and educated guesses that he was going to attract uh, free agent bids of a half billion dollars maybe as high as 600 million dollars because in theory you're getting both an all-star level hitter and an all-star pitcher in the same package so you can almost double the amount of money that is usually given to premium players like that on the free agent market. Now, we just don't know where that's going to go. Mm-hmm. But I think in the bigger pic- picture, it calls into question whether you can expect somebody to both hit and pitch and have your body hold up under the strain that that delivers. Uh, we've marveled at his ability to do it so far and to do it at such a high level. But maybe this is just another reminder that you can only push the human body so far in terms of what you demand of it physically in athletic competition. This, this could be, and we're jumping the gun here because there's been no diagnosis on this. If indeed he requires a sec, uh, Tommy John surgery, it will be his second in the last five years. And you wonder if it doesn't at some point uh, impact whether he can continue to be a two-way player. And then, of course, um, what sort of impact that has on his upcoming free agency.
1: Yeah, and a lot to digest there. And and more news will come out of Anaheim, I'm sure, in the next days and weeks, uh, ahead of, again, the most anticipated free agency maybe in sports history. Um, Now, uh, a lot of uncertainty surrounding that. We'll get to your questions now. A lot of good questions came in via Twitter or X or whatever the hell they're calling it now. Uh, Thank you, Elon Musk, for that. Uh, we'll start with kind of an outside of the box one, uh, one related to a piece that I will have going up today um, on the Nesson broadcast booth this year. It comes from Red Sox Payroll, which, first of all, at Red Sox Payroll, an indispensable resource for those of us who cover the team as well as the fans who follow them. What are the general impressions of the rotating cast of TV analysts on Nesson this season? Um, I always say that, I am among the least qualified people in the world to answer this question because we are obviously at so many games. And, um, you know, I watch here and there when I am not on a road trip and Chris or, or you are on a road trip, but um, sometimes I like to get away. And so I'm not married to every pitch in those situations. I do know this. Lou Merloni has really, really impressed everybody um, from Nesson to Weei. Um, I, I talked to Lou for a store that will be dropping probably today, maybe tomorrow, depending on how long it takes and if the day, um, now the day goes, but, um, he wants to do more games. than I think the, uh, you know, 50, 40 split he's doing right now. And I think, you know, Nesson would be, um, wise to give him that opportunity. Will Middlebrooks, obviously, you know, has a lot of fans in the building. Kevin Euclid has been in there as well. Uh, and Kevin Millar, which I know I ripped him the other day on here for saying that, um, Raphael Devers was an above average defender at third base, which is objectively not true. I don't understand, Sean, why they feel the need to have Kevin Millar call some games from his house in Texas when he's not on site. I feel like that's just forcing it a little bit. Um, I, I do think that they are going to move, and this is something that any play-by-play man is going to want, any company is going to want. They're going to want to move to a guy who does the majority of... You're not saying that's going to be 150, 160, but a guy that, you know, is in there for maybe 120, 130, just so, you know, fans get that familiarity instead of this rotating cast they've seen really, you know, since Jerry Remy had declining health, started with the declining health problems a few years ago. So I, I'm going to guess that, you know, we see some more Marloni moving forward, um, but, you know, it's not and we never exactly know they're thinking heading into uh, what will be, um, I guess, their second season without Eckersley uh, next year.
0: Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Chris. I To, to underscore, I agree with you completely that Lou Marloni has separated himself from the rest of the pack. I think he's been superb both on the radio and on Nessun for our purposes. We're focused more on the TV side because that was the question and and uh, and wondering what the future is going forward. I think they would be wise to up Lou's uh, workload and have him do the most number of games. I think he brings a tremendous amount of insight. Uh, I think he is a uh, a student of the game. He obviously has played it um, at the highest level, has an understanding of what it takes, brings a player's perspective, but really keeps up with the game well across the sport and the industry, uh, does his homework, talks to players. I think he's been terrific. I'm not sure, however, that you're correct when you say Nessun would want one guy doing most of the games. Uh, it's my understanding that particularly uh, the last couple of years after the tragic passing of Jerry Remy and the retirement of Dennis Eckersley, that they actually like the variety of having several different people in and out. They think it keeps the broadcasts or the telecasts fresh. Um, I I think it creates inconsistency and you never know who's gonna be on. Uh, And when you have somebody as good as Lou I, I think that he should get the majority of the reps. We'll we'll see what happens, but uh, you are and I are on the same page that I think he's established himself as the best of the bunch.
1: And again, we will have a, a story with Lou Maloney on the site um, here, probably around the time this pod drops, or, or maybe Friday morning. Again, it's uh, we'll see how the see how the juices are flowing writing wise today. Uh, second question comes in from Adam Samroff. Is Trevor story finally back he's starting to hit the ball some and the defense has been terrific at short. I mean, I as I think I said before on here like we shouldn't be shocked that he has been a slow starter at the plate this year because he was last year right the beginning of April and you know when the season started at this point. You know, he has, he's 11 for 52, hitting 212 with a 562 OPS. Really hasn't been any power. He has five doubles. Three of them were in one game, a couple of them fluky on on fielding. Um, You know, he struck out 20 times in those 52 at bats. It's not been pretty, you know, and it's now not like two or three games, it's 13. Um, But I think, and as I tweeted last night, like, and this might just be from watching Kike Hernandez and the rotating cast of characters at Short all year. I think we undervalued how important Trevor's story was to this team, even though we knew it was important just because what he brings in the defensive side. I mean, the play last night, I know Smith wrote a whole story on it and and chorus thoughts on it and all that type of stuff. Like that play does not get made by, you know, a bunch of the guys, especially Kike Hernandez that, you know, happened earlier in the year. Um, And it's just the, the impact there has been very, very smooth. And he is truly elite over there. And so, that's why, you know, I think you look at baseball reference right now. He's a, in 13 games, 0.3 war player, despite having an OPS of five obviously the OPS is not going to stay that low. So I've been impressed by the whole story at shortstop thing <clears throat> hitting wise. It's been almost shocking how bad it is to see his at bats in Washington and New York last week. I mean, just a guy who looked completely lost. And again, this isn't five, six games in it's at that point, 10, um, I do think that's going to pick up. The power is going to come. You know, this is a guy that in Colorado, I know it's a different animal out there. But thirty-five homers in one year, thirty-seven homers another. You know, last year he had sixteen homers in ninety-four games. So you're going to see some pop at some point. I know the clock's ticking here, but just defensively, been very, very impressed.
0: I think people forget, and whether it's uh, being upset that they perceived him being brought in to replace Sandra Bogarts or not wanting to give Heimbloom any credit for his biggest foray into free agency, whatever the motivation is, people are strangely down on Trevor's story. This guy is a really good player. And I think we're seeing that in dribs and drabs here through the first couple of weeks. That play last night probably would only have been made by Yu Chang, uh, among the people who played shortstop this season. And I think story is better than Chang defensively. And he's no, has-
1: no credit from Sean McAdam for shortstop Bobby Dalbeck.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure Bobby yeah. Dahlbeck makes that play either, but, um, but story is a very good player who is understandably having some time, having some difficulty getting on track at the plate. He did not have a spring training. He only played uh, 10 or so games on a rehab assignment and it's clear his timing is not what it should be, and we're seeing that with him being late on the fastball and out in front on breaking pitches, kind of caught in between all the things you expect to see when a guy hasn't faced a lot of live pitching, and he hasn't, uh, not going back until, uh, you know, the middle of last season, uh, the middle of September last year. September 11th was the last game he'd played prior to a couple of weeks ago, so It's going to take some time. We may not see the real Trevor story at the plate for the rest of this year, but even if you get periodic offensive contributions, you have to remember what he's doing defensively and what he's doing on the bases. He's easily not only uh, the, the best base runner the Red Sox have, but among the fastest, you know, I'm sure Duran beats him in a foot race. If David Hamilton were here, he'd beat him in a foot race but Trevor story is a plus base stealer and a very good base runner. And that's something too, that the Red Sox don't have nearly enough of. So even if his offensive contributions are minimal here in the last six weeks, uh, he he can help this team uh, in other ways, as we saw demonstrated Wednesday night.
1: Yeah. And he is a guy who, you know, obviously to everybody, is is under control for four more years and a big piece of what they're doing moving forward. I always say that, you know, Red Sox fans now have this perception of Trevor Story as an injury-prone guy. He was limited to 94 games last year and now, you know, obviously missed four and a half months this year. Before that, he was Iron Man-like in Colorado, you know, in an era where you don't see guys play 160 games. 2017, his first full season, played 145 played 157 in 2018. In 2019, he played 145. 2021, he played 142. Perhaps, and I think I might have brought this up on the show before, my favorite tweet I've ever received from a fan, ever. I tweeted out that Trevor Story was very dependable and had never really been injured throughout his career. Let me guess. Let me guess.
0: Can I guess what this is?
1: Yes, go ahead. Oh, yeah. How
0: come he only played 50-something games in 2020? Yes.
1: How come he only played 59 games in 2020? You're ignoring that? Where Trevor Story had one day off in the short 2020 season, and uh, a Twitter genius decided that that was um, that was not enough. So not even
0: half the games. Chris, come on. No,
1: I know, ridiculous. So uh, that was a good one. We will uh, move on to a couple Red Sox injury concerns. One question that we got, and one that I'm going to add to the pile here from Futon Life One, which sounds like a lot of my time in good place uh, Chapel to be. Hill. Yep. Who might be the closer if Kenley Jansen's going to miss time or back to no closer? For those who missed it, Kenley Jansen leaving last night's Red Sox game with hamstring tightness in the ninth inning. Actually, as I was watching the second pitch he threw, he kind of took a lap around the mound, and I said to myself, something's wrong there. He looks like something. And I've I, I uh, I'm, you know, I've always said that one of my things I need to work on is being a more astute observer of the game and, and noticing things right in front of me, which is always great for a baseball writer. This time, I actually nailed it. Unfortunately, I wasn't covering the game, so it didn't matter. Two pitches later, Kenley Jansen comes out with the hamstring issue. Unclear if he's going to miss time. Go on the IL. We saw you know, Nick Pavetta come in very fired up after um, you know not being warmed up and, and pitching well, as he has kind of in every role over the last four months. Do you think they just, if Kenley has to miss time, they move Chris Martin to the ninth inning, or do you think they do something a little bit more creative?
0: No, I I think Martin stays where he is. Uh, He's been so locked down in that eighth inning high leverage setup role. He's been as good as anybody in the American League since he came back from that shoulder issue in April. I don't think you mess with that. Uh, He's a guy that really hasn't closed a whole lot in his career. And the guy I'm going to suggest for the role has not done it at all. So let's keep that in mind. There are no perfect answers When you have a guy who's got 420 career saves and has not blown a save opportunity on the road this year and has given them such stability as Jansen has in the ninth, it's going to be a difficult transition here for however long he's out. I think Pavetta is the guy they go to. Um, And and I know that that takes him out of that multi-inning role that he's uh, thrived in. But now that they have an actual five-man rotation and the ability to eat more innings with the rotation and having to fill fewer innings in relief, I think you can get away with maybe Whitlock being that multi-inning guy um, out there and, and move Pavetta to the back end. Uh, he's a guy that uh, thrives in those situations. He seems to like the... Uh, the big moment. Uh, we saw how emotional he was coming off the mound, getting out of that jam, taking over. And then frankly, I was a little surprised he didn't come back out for the 10th since he had been obviously stretched out enough to provide multiple innings. They ended up going to Winkowski. He had kind of a hairy moment before he got all three outs in the bottom of the 10th. I think it's going to be Pavetta. And I think that's probably the guy it should be.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about this before. There's so many options and so many weapons for Alex Cora in that bullpen right now. Winkowski, Schreiber, Whitlock, Martin, if you add Pavetta into that mix. Bigger picture question we'll have to talk about during the winter, but with that in mind, I say sell high on either Martin or Jansen in the winter and get something back before you know those guys test for agency. We'll get to that when we get to that. Other injury concern from the Red Sox this week, Jaron Duran. Uh, we've criticized the Red Sox on the show and plenty of times in casual conversation for downplaying, underplaying injuries when they first happen. And then the uh, the kind of, I don't know, some sort of difference in tone happens over the next couple days usually. Sunday afternoon, Jaron Duran leaves with a little bit of a toe issue, trying to scale the wall. No big deal, says Alex Cora. Monday, yeah, we'll keep him out for the day. Probably will avoid the I.L. Tuesday, he goes in the IL. All of a sudden, he's in a walking boot, and they are waiting on more imaging. Um, I think it's ominous. I do, and uh, uh, I don't, you know, know for sure that it's anything serious. But we've seen this kind of playbook before: um, downplay, downplay, downplay until you drop the bomb. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, the Red Sox don't need that right now uh, because Duran's been, you know, perhaps their most dynamic player throughout the season, but. It just kind of feels like if it was something minor, they would have come out and known that by this point.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the concerning thing is when you're talking about a toe injury, you only need to look at Aaron Judge and how long he missed. Now, I'm not saying that they're exactly the same or that he's going to miss the couple of months that Judge did. uh, But it is a reminder that this is unlikely to be, you know, just 10 days or 15 days on. Uh, on the IL and he's back and contributing by uh, the start of the next road trip it could well be longer and particularly when you start thinking about how Duran impacts the game it it obviously revolves around his speed and athleticism and if all of a sudden he can't uh, put a lot of weight there can't run has to alter his running stride uh, that that's kind of ominous for what they could expect to get out of Jaron Duran here in the final month and a half.
1: Last question we will get to today. Cause there's a lot of questions uh, that were asked that we've talked about in mailbag episodes in the last couple of weeks. Is Verdugo going to be on the roster? I think we both think he's dealt, um, are they going to pursue a starting pitcher Blake Snell? Yes. We talked about that. Yamamoto. Yes. We talked about that. Um, We'll just answer this question that we answer every time because it's always a moving target from Jake Bale. One, two, three. Um, confusing because it's at Jake Bale, but the username is Jack. So not really clear what's going on there. What does the future hold for Heim Bloom after this year? Presuming they missed the playoffs this year, does it become a playoffs or bust ultimatum for Bloom in 24? Or is it this offseason that they decide his fate? I'm still on team Heim is safe. Uh, just because they're probably going to end up with a winning record in that emerging core. Um, But next year is going to be the make or break year. I think for everybody associated, they're going to go in with their best chance of contending in a season since 2019, I would assume unless something crazy happens with the roster. Um, Remember 2019, they had defending champions and a, a lot of guys back. And since then for four straight years, um, They have been, oh, if a few things break right, they'll make the playoffs. I don't think that's the case next year. I think they're going to go into it, you know, clearly as one of the better teams in the American League. Um, And if they miss, if they fall short of expectations, I do think that'll be it for Bloom. Um, But for now, Sean, I do think he's safe.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, We don't know the exact details of Heim Bloom's contract or its length. We were told in spring training that he is under contract past this season. We're going to presume that he initially got a five-year deal in some form or fashion, whether that was four years on an option or five guaranteed years. In any event, next year is year five, and it's time to produce the results. It's time to have a playoff team and one that is able to uh, sustain itself going forward. That's been a big part of Heimblum's, uh MO here, talking about having the ability to contend for a World Series every year. And next year is the year they take the big step or or need to take the be- big step. I think they're going to spend fairly aggressively this winter on pitching and maybe some other areas. And I think the entire organization sees that uh, everything that's the, the foundation that's been laid here over the last four years is kind of culminating in a payoff season in 2024.
1: We will have... As I said, team coverage of the Red Sox and Dodgers on Friday at Fenway with Mookie Betts coming back and a lot of storylines uh, surrounding that. And then next week, you're in for a treat on the Fenway Rundown as Sean McAdam gets to ride solo as I take a vacation week. Um, Sean, not sure what your plans are for the pod, but we know, uh, as always, it will be absolutely pristine.
0: Somehow I'll try to soldier on without you.
1: Yep, and I'll be at the U.S. Open soldiering on without you. This has been the Fenway Rundown on Thursday.
0: This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.